0: For those of you who may be new or are visiting for the first time, my name is Chad. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Reality Ventura. I I do not know what to think about that. (laughs) So I'll just leave it at that. Um, Last Sunday, if you were here with us this uh, last Sunday, Billy taught on verses 26 and 27. Of Ephesians chapter 4 be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil and today we will continue in verse 28 of Ephesians chapter 4 for the sake of context I'll be reading from our text starting in verse 21 from the English Standard Version verse 21 says having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil in our verse today verse 28 let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Would you join me in prayer? Father God in heaven, this is your holy, your good, your divine, and your inspired word. I ask right now that you would give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit of God is saying to the church, to your sons and daughters. God, I ask for your grace, I ask for your anointing, I ask for your help, that your word would go out in demonstration of the Spirit's power. And God, I confess before my brothers and sisters that this sermon is just as much for me as it is for anyone here this morning. And we ask this for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, the title of this morning's sermon is From Stealing to Sharing. And if you have been here the past two Sundays, you may have seen a pattern unraveling since verse 25 when the Apostle Paul transitioned with therefore. Therefore, in light of taking off the old self, and putting on the new self we have seen this pattern that moves like a golden thread with everything he has been saying up to this point and will continue through verse 32 and it's important by way of setting the table this morning that we understand that the apostle paul is laying a foundation for a new pattern of living found in verses 25 through 32 and the first thing he does is this he makes specific the general fact of changing from an old lifestyle to a new one and then Paul lists five categories or five patterns in which change takes place in the life of a believer We see a new pattern of living in which Paul gives commands reflecting several contrasts between the old life and the new. Based on their newness of life, believers are to change from lying to speaking the truth, from unrighteous anger to righteous anger, from stealing to sharing from unwholesome words to edifying words, and from natural vices to supernatural virtues. When God saves a person out of darkness, there is first a fundamental change to the identity of that person. That's first and that's foremost. We studied this in the first chapters of Ephesians in our Kingdom Kids series the first thing that happens that makes a christian is a fundamental change to that person's disposition their affections their nature and their identity that is a christian when god saves a person he changes them from the inside out and this is what you see when you study and when you read the new testament and what it means to be a new creation we who are God's people who are part of his kingdom will be different than the rest of the world we will think differently we will talk differently we will act differently we will have different motives and we will worship differently in other words True children of the kingdom are very easily distinguished from the world and or they should be. At least in the pattern of distinction that is outlined before us in the book of Ephesians. There is to be a difference. We're not to be like the world as it says in 1 John Two fifteen, which says do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him when god recreates a person in jesus christ there's something new there's something different that new creation is is indeed supposed to be a new creation. Again, a new identity, a new nature, new affections, new desires, new hopes, new thoughts with a new mind of Christ. And yet, also, let's remember that new creatures act like new creatures. God is not progressively making new creations out of believers. Believers are those whom he has already made new creations, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God hasn't just patched us up, put a little patch here and a patch there, but He has made us brand new. We are new creations in Christ. Yes. And yet, at the same time, we are told that if you are not living that way, meaning consistently, not perfectly, but living that way consistently, if your life is not distinctly different from the world, there is a real possibility that you are not a Christian at all. Do not be deceived. No matter what you claim, no matter what you imagine, no matter how religious you are, in which as a pastor and as a brother in Christ, I have great concern and great fear for many in today's church that think they are Christians, and they are not. Unless there is a distinction in your living there's a good possibility that there is no distinction in your nature either. 1 John 2, 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And Paul is reinforcing this truth here in this section of Ephesians. Paul is saying in chapters 1 through 3, look, This is who you are in Christ as kingdom kids. And in chapters 4 through 6, this is how you act as a kingdom family. And you can never separate the two. And yet, tragically, we have separated the two. Who we are as Christians seems to be in today's culture and time just seems like there's no relevance any longer in how we live as Christians. And it's becoming more like that every day. We need to remember there's always the standard in terms of position, and then there always is the activity in terms of behavior and they go together they go together you and i we can't say well i'm a christian because i once received christ i said the sinner's prayer at one time and there be no distinction in your living that's not new testament christianity and that's exactly what paul is saying here If you are a new creature, chapters 1 through 3, you will live like it, chapters 1 through 4. The only reliable evidence of a person's being saved is not a past experience of receiving Christ, but a present life that reflects Christ. And I ask you, I ask us this morning, Does your life reflect Christ? Does your life reflect Christ? Now, in light of these truths or this foundation, how then shall we teach a people not to steal? Let us follow Paul's example here in Ephesians 4. How does he do it? He teaches three chapters of deep, God-centered doctrine to start with. Then here in our text this morning, Paul builds a theological image, a picture for all obedience in verses 22 through 24 of us taking off the old self and putting on the new self. Then he gives illustrations of practical acts of obedience in verse 25 and following. In verse 25, he says, don't lie, speak truth. In verses 26 and 27, he says, don't hold an angry grudge. In verse 28, he says, don't steal, work and give, and so on. What we need to remember when we read and teach these commandments is that they must be seen in relation to the original image or picture as seen in verses 22 through 24 of our text, which says this, Obeying the commands of Jesus is like taking off an old self and putting on a new self. The old self is corrupt because of bad desires that come from deceit. The new self is created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness that come from truth. So becoming a true Christian means that a miracle happens. Something like the first creation of man happens all over again. Hence, being born again. Being born anew being born from above. Evangelical obedience is not just turning over a new leaf by force of willpower in order to please a new deity. Evangelical obedience is the creation of God. It is the fruit of the Spirit, not the work of the flesh. What is the key to this new evangelical, ev- evangelical obedience? Verse 23 says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. A deep inner renewal must take place before there can be true evangelical obedience. If we try to teach obedience to Jesus without inner renewal, without being born of the Spirit, all we get is Phariseeism. That's all we get. All we get is legalism. Just outward works of religion, not coming from an inward work of the Holy Spirit. And where does this renewed mind come from? It comes from God. According to verse 24, the new self is created. As it says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The renewed mind is is the creation of God, not man. But how does God renew the spirit of the mind? He does it by overcoming the deceit found in verse 22 and by applying the truth mentioned in verse 24. This is what it means to produce evangelical obedience. And evangelical obedience is free and joy-filled obedience that comes from a transformed mind that sees the goodness and the beauty of god who said who desires i want to be holy for he is holy and the evangelical doctrine or truth that god uses to produce this fruit is the truth that god loves sinners and that christ died for sinners and the holy spirit regenerates sinners And it is all of grace and received by faith. And so, if one should ask, How then should I not lie? The evangelical answer is by faith. Or, How shall I be free from my angry grudges? By faith. Or, How shall I not steal? By faith. By faith in the promises, in the truths of God, which I'll talk a a little bit more in about a minute. Yet, evangelical obedience says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me And gave himself for me. The point of all this is that when we come to verse 28, we must not forget, again, verses 22 through 24 of taking off the old self and putting on the new self in Christ. Because without verses 22 through 24, all we get out of verse 28 is legalistic capitalism and that is not what we want so let's look at verse 28 and take with us the image or picture of verses 22 through 24 and see what we find for our lives in this new pattern of living that we have been called to as believers in Jesus Christ so now in light of taking off the old self and putting on the new self, self, we now come to the third change in the Christian's life, from stealing to sharing. To begin, notice that verse 28 really has three commands. First, let the thief no longer steal. Second, but rather let him labor, working with his own hands what is good third let the aim of this labor be so that he may have something to share with anyone in need and so there's a progression here from an inferior to a superior way of life in Christ first you can steal in order to have second you can work in order to have or third You can work in order to give. The first two ways of life describe an illegal and a legal way of satisfying the drive of covetousness and greed. You can be driven by greed to steal, and you can be driven by greed to work. One is illegal, the other is legal, both are sinful that is why paul doesn't stop there working in order to have is perhaps an american ideal if you earned it you should have it but it is not a christian ideal the most radical thing about this text is that we are commanded to do all of our secular work with a view of meeting the needs of others. You can live to have either legally or illegally or you can be a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit of God and live to give. So let's take these three commands as they come and then close with this revolutionizing thought that all the money you earn at your secular job is meant in some way by God, to enable you to share with others in need. Just as the Abrahamic covenant says in Genesis 12, that we are blessed to be a blessing. Every single one of us in this room, just due to the fact that we were born in America, one of the richest nations on the planet, we are blessed. And why are we blessed? So that we can be a blessing to others. So first, our text, verse 28, simply repeats the eighth commandment, thou shall not steal, and or let the thief no longer steal. Now in view of verses 22 through 24, again, taking off the old self and putting on the new, what can we say about stealing and the Christian? Three things. First, stealing is part of the old self that we are to strip off. Verse 22. Stealing is part of the corruption that comes from deceitful desires. Stealing comes from being deceived about what is truly desirable. Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness and he tempted him to turn stones into bread and to short-circuit the way of the cross, in essence saying, don't go the way of self-denial. Use the powers at your disposal to get what you really want in the easiest way, not the painful way. And so Satan comes to us in the same way and he tempts us to steal, to steal from our employees with unjust wages or from our employers with shoddy work, just cutting corners and extended breaks, laziness, or from the government on our tax returns or from the store by shoplifting. Just a side note. Did you know American consumers steal from retailers more than 13 billion annually? 13 billion dollars annually from shoplifting. Again, we are the one of the richest nations on earth and yet we shoplift. We steal from retailers 13 billion annually which just proves the fact how spiritually bankrupt we are in the United States of America. Now back to our text. Satan tempts us to steal and short-circuit the way of justice and short-circuit the way of hard work. And then he lies and he says that the fleeting pleasure of possession is better than a hard day's work, and a clear conscience, and a love for other people, and those who are deceived steal. Jesus says in Matthew fifteen nineteen, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, and so on. Where does stealing come from? It comes from the heart. A heart that is corrupt with desires born out of deceit. That is the first thing to say about stealing and the Christian. It is part of the old corrupt nature and it should be stripped off and thrown away. The second thing we can say about stealing is that stealing can be forgiven. Can I get an amen? Stealing can be forgiven. Verse 28 says, let the thief, literally him who steals, no longer steal. Here's a person who has been a thief, a person who used to steal all the time, A person who's ripped off a hundred wallets by breaking into cars. A person who has taken nice towels and bathrobes every time they check out of a hotel. A self-employed person who has never reported honorariums or other things on their tax returns. And Paul says, there is hope for this thief. He can be forgiven in Christ Jesus. He can be changed from the inside out and stop stealing and have a new future in righteousness and in holiness. And if he thinks it's too late, what shall we say to him? What shall we say to her? We shall remind him of Luke Twenty three forty three, where the lifelong thief in the hour of his death cried out jesus remember me when you come into your kingly power and jesus said truly i say to you today you will be with me in paradise wow Wow, so great is the power of the cross to forgive sinners. Right here, this thief in the last minute of his life recognizes he's a sinner, recognizes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who takes away the sins of this world and he turns to Christ and says, remember me when you come into paradise, remember me. And what does Jesus do? He looks at him and says, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. That is the second thing we can say about stealing. It can be forgiven. It is not too late for any who is willing to repent and turn to Christ for cleansing and for the power to steal no more. And my burden for anybody here this morning, just like the thief on the cross, that right now you would turn to Jesus right there in your chair and say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner, a thief. God, forgive me and cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. And today, today is the day of salvation. And today is the day of forgiveness in Christ Jesus. Let that be. Yes, amen. You may think maybe there's someone, but I'm not a thief. I'm not a thief. All of us at one time or even today are thieves in this regard. All of us have stolen, in a sense, stolen God's glory. All of us fall short of the glory of God and all of us have stolen from God's glory and taken glory upon ourselves. So every one of us, apart from Christ, needs to cry out to God for his forgiveness. The third thing we can say about stealing is that stealing must be overcome by faith. Any other way of overcoming stealing may be a a short-term benefit to society and keep a man out of jail, but it won't keep him out of hell. And therefore, on the scale of eternity, it is not very much help and not very deep love. If the thief's obedience is to be evangelical obedience— the internal obedience of the saved and not the external obedience of the lost, then the spirit of his mind has to be renewed by the application of evangelical doctrine or truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 24 says that the new self that no longer steals is the creation of God in righteousness and in holiness. And that the instrument of His creation is the truth. As it says in John eight thirty two. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, or make you free. My brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, when we apply truth by faith, we are set free. Please hear this this morning. It's not just in regards to stealing it could be in regards to lying it could be in regards to sinning in our anger we were just talking about this in our community group last week in regards to anger and one dear sister said uh there's a situation within her marriage and her husband he didn't say anything wrong or, or mean he just spoke a truth to her that she didn't like and instead of receiving that truth she allowed her emotions, she followed her emotions, and she stewed in anger for five days. What brought her out of that anger? What set her free from that anger? Truth. The Holy Spirit impressed and reminded her of a truth in scripture, and when she applied that scripture, when we, she repented of her sin, it lifted her up. It's set her free from anger. That's what it means when we apply truth by faith, we are set free. So, what truth does God use to free the thief from the compulsion to steal? There are dozens of answers in Scripture. For example, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have i believe there are those here that need to hear that today be content with what you have for he has said i will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the lord is my helper i will not be fearful what can man do to me what this teaches is that the craving for things which drive us to steal is owing to unbelief in the promises of god the lord who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills who has the wisdom to design the dna and the milky way who rules the world down to the feeding of little birds, and who did not spare his own son, that Lord of lords, that King of kings, has promised his people, he has promised you today, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Do you believe this? I ask you this morning, can you believe this? truth these truths and yet steal just to add a little to your security or your pleasure let me encourage you with one of my favorite promises in the bible our greatest security and pleasure comes from the truth of knowing as the psalmist said in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you want true security and true pleasure? It's in his presence where there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is the third thing we can say about stealing. It must be overcome by faith. So that is the first command of our text. Don't steal live by faith, believe in the promises of God. And I want to move on to the third command, but let me make a brief comment about the second in passing. The second command of verse 28 is, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands what is good. Two simple observations. One is that God has ordained work, not stealing, as a way of getting what we need. And work is not the, a curse. Believe it or not, work is not a curse. You may feel that way at, at times. But remember, Adam was put in the garden to tend it before the fall. It's boredom and frustration and futility in work. These are the curse of our fallen age. But work itself is a gift of God. How could it be otherwise? Since God is the greater, greatest worker of all, and we are created in God's image. The other observation from the second command in verse 28 is that the work we do for a living should be the doing of something good. The ESV is not quite accurate here. It literally says, Let him, the former thief, labor, doing honest work with his own hands, the good. God is not indifferent To what you do for a living. You belong to him first. He is your main boss. And you will give an account to him. Of how you spent your working life. So do an honest day's work as unto the Lord. And the text says also instead of stealing. Work. But it doesn't just say work. As though any and all work is acceptable for the Christian. It says perform the good so test your vocation and ask is it performing what is good does it bring glory to god or does it cause me to compromise in my faith compromise in my my christian faith or does it cause others to sin in what i do test your vocation but now as we close by looking at the third command in the text notice that a shift of focus takes place At first, Paul seems to be focused on what we do. Don't steal, work. But in this last part of the verse, his focus turns to the motive for working and not stealing. He says the goal and purpose that God has for his people is not reached when they simply quit stealing. And the goal and purpose that God has for his people is not reached when they labor hard with their hands even doing good in order to possess the money they earn but he says finally that the goal of god for his people in all their gainful employment is reached when they work in order to have so that they can give to those in need again remember we are blessed to be a blessing this is utterly revolutionary do you see what it does It takes the whole of your life, including your secular job, and it turns it into a work of grace. Paul wants you to think of your secular job as a means to display God's grace, to display his goodness. No more stealing in the service of illegal greed. No more working in the service of legal greed. But now everything is in the service of grace, not greed. Don't steal to have, don't work to have, but work to have in order to give. Why? Because this is what it means for us to walk by faith. The very essence of faith is the delight of the soul in the experience and display of God's grace. And so faith is the power by grace to be content with what we have. Again, we need to hear that this morning, to be content with what we have. And faith, also the power by grace to be discontent with what others don't have. And so faith doesn't have to steal or hoard in order to be happy, but it does have to give and share in order to be happy. As Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The inflow of God's grace satisfies the heart of faith. And the overflow of God's grace satisfies the needs of others. And faith is utterly addicted to these experiences and displays the grace of God. And so we return where we began, where Paul builds a theological image or picture for all evangelical obedience seen in verses 22 through 24. What are the purposes of God in your life? What is the work of God in your life? As verse 24 says, put on the new nature created after the likeness of God. That is the purpose of God. When our lives image forth the likeness of God. There it is. We are created by God to be the likeness and the image of God in the world. That's why we are created. When people see your life, and study why you work, do they see a display of the grace of God? They will. They will. If you don't steal in order to have, and don't work in order to have, but work in order to have so that you can give, so that you can share with those in need. Put on the new nature and make your whole life a display of the power of God's grace. Don't live to get, live to give. That's what it means to be a kingdom family. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your holy and living word this morning now i just ask holy spirit of god you would cause us to respond to these truths this morning cause us to respond in repentance cause, cause us to respond in worship this morning cause us to respond that would ultimately bring glory to your name and god use these truths this morning to set people free in jesus name amen, amen. right now i just really want to encourage us and exhort us this is a time. To respond to the lord in worship communion and prayer the carpets are here for us to respond for those today that may have walked in and thought that they are christians but there's been no distinct difference in your life today is the day of salvation for those of you who are not christians today is the day of salvation respond through repentance and turning to christ and putting your faith in him for cleansing and forgiveness and for new life in christ the prayer team is on my right and on my left if you need prayer come forward again let's take communion and recognition to jesus broken body and His spilt blood on behalf of taking away our sins and the sins of the world let's respond church